Welcome, everybody, to the Cult of Dave Podcast Network. There's an epidemic out there that is crushing America. Hundreds of jokes are told and are never heard. These are jokes that want to come into your life and make you happy, make you laugh, make you feel joy. Stories, glorious stories are told. No one will hear them. These stories will go on and just disappear over time and have no life. And that is not a life that we should be living in. For just three cents a day, you can become a Patreon on the Cult of Dave Network and listen to jokes and stories and give them a home. These jokes are here. These stories are here. Just waiting, waiting for you to love them as much as they will love you back. Consider becoming a Patreon on the Cult of Dave podcast network today. New chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming butthole, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm a goddamn professional. Something good for ya. All right, everybody, and welcome. To this week's episode of the Something Good For You podcast, where the two of us sift through the bullshit to try to find a little something good to give you each and every single week. And we're back, motherfuckers. This is the full show again. We got Cap back. Hey. Cap's back. Had to, had to get back to the well for a, for a little bit. <laughs> Why the fuck were you gone, man? <laughs> I mean, you, you got to get out of your bubble every now and then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've been in a bubble for about four months now. Just to, anything outside of work just stop. It's, it's all creative Four outlets. Months. Yeah, pretty much since February. Yeah, that's about right. Because that's that's about the time um, you and Kelsey started running into the studio and working. Yeah, we started working on that, and ever since I've been just nonstop either uh, doing uh, that project, mm-hmm. doing pre-pro for fill-ins, yep. uh, just hanging around for other sessions and stuff like that, and doing. 40 hours a week and uh, yeah, basically <laughs> yeah that's the one thing that people seem time, to forget no free time that's what sometimes what people seem to forget is like yeah we, we do all this and we also have a 40 hour a week work job <laughs> oh yeah that's just one of those things where you gotta work if you want to pursue this kind of stuff yeah would you say that uh, the work's paying off it most definitely is but it's just all about clearing your headspace and everything too like sometimes oh, yeah. like with the work can be a little overwhelming but it's just all about taking care of yourself too. And I think anybody that works that hard deserves a break. <laughs> well, for your break, what you decide to do, sir, what, what you've been up to? Cause we've had last week was, uh, Rebecca and Jeff Clayton, mom and stepdad. They were on, and that was a really fun episode. And then before that was one of the first that we were able to do for a while. And that was with Brad. But aside from that, you were not here last week. You were off running around doing shit in Tennessee. So tell us about that, man. How was your trip? Uh, it was just, it was just really nice, and I uh, got to uh, do all the uh, touristy Memphis bullshit that I never did growing up. Now, how far did you live from Memphis as uh, a kid? About just over an hour, not really far off. And you at all. never did the tourist shit. Never did the touristy shit. Well, because 
I went to Graceland and I went to uh, Sun Studios uh, over the weekend or the, over the past week, and I just never gave a shit about Elvis in uh, high school or anything like that, just because Elvis was just everywhere. And as a kid, I just didn't appreciate him at all. Yeah, that seems to be like the same thing in Jersey. People are just do not give a fuck about Bruce Springsteen. I can see that. <laughs> Was he really that saturated? Because in Charlotte, we really don't have any, like, you know, big time celebrity like that. We don't have a Bruce Springsteen or an Elvis that came from Charlotte. So I don't really have y'all got, that. Y'all got Ric Flair. Well, I got Randy Travis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying Ric Flair is the biggest mo- is the biggest star out of Charlotte by far. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, that's still a niche market. Right, exactly. He's, it's still not a, you know... Bruce Springsteen. Everyone knows who a fucking Bruce Springsteen is. I feel right. that pe- I feel people more people know who Bruce is than Ric Flair. That's probably true. So definitely, but and that's the thing though. And Elvis, there's no need to even compare the exactly. two. Exactly. <laughs> every everybody, every goddamn body knows who Elvis is. <laughs> every goddamn body. <laughs> you couldn't get away from it. That's probably why I didn't like give a fuck about it for the longest time. Did you just not like Elvis at all as a kid, or was it just like a non-starter? Like just it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. It was just there. It was just ever present. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, that is kind of weird. I, I would. I'm kind of curious about that because, like I said, we we just don't have anything that big around here, especially to the point of it having the reverse effect. And not, you know, not, not a big music icon or anything like that. Not that I can think of. Like I said, I just jokingly threw out Randy Travis, but he was from Wingate, Marshville area. What's weird is uh. When I hear uh, Steve tell me stories about uh, what he did back in the day and uh, listen to your mom talk uh, last week about mm-hmm. uh, Charlotte's, you know, music scenes or whatever, it just seems like uh, there's a history of like punk and hardcore that came out of this area in North Carolina and that I continue to see, too. Oh, absolutely. But I'm, I would say that that's a little different than your grandma knowing who the fuck someone is. That's true. That's, that's very niche, too. That, that's Yeah. So it's, it's still niche. It's still a niche market. Um I would say, actually, thinking on it, it's still not Charlotte, uh, but the Evett brothers are from Concord. That's right. And they got really fucking big for a minute. So, I don't know, maybe that'd probably be the closest one I could think of. And I can see a little bit of that comparison now. I, 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 I've seen people in town be a bit more turning their nose up at the idea of the Avett Brothers. Right, that is kind of weird, too, because like, I'm not an Avett Brothers fan by any means. I know a couple of their songs. Man, Same. They're... they're I guess they're okay for what they are as a somebody who's not invested in them at all. I went I went through a time period where I listened to a handful of the records, and actually, just a couple of weeks ago, just out of the blue, I found one of those old playlists I made, and I just kind of skimmed through it, and I remember liking those songs a lot when I made the playlist. And then I went through it again, and I was like, ah, I still like maybe three or four out of this 15-song playlist right. I made, like three or four of them. I was like, Ooh, I forgot about this one. Oh yeah, I still like this. This is good, but it's just not nearly as much as before. I, I don't know. I think I think they had their moment almost because that, that was a that was a time period of music, big time. That was I know exactly what you're talking about. That really weird period where everybody every rock band was acoustic with drums and washboards and all that Mumford and Sons bullshit. I, that's exactly what I was about to say. It's like Mumford and Sons were big. Everett Brothers won that Grammy for uh, "I and Loving You." Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I remember. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I could see that. So, just not giving a fuck about Elvis much, I guess, just not really going to Graceland. 
I don't know. I, I, but, but it's one of those deals where it's like uh, you get back and you find your like 50s uh, rock and roll icons. Like my favorites were Little Richard and Chuck Berry. Right. Spe- especially as a guitar player, I flashed on Chuck Berry and ripped off all his licks and everything too. And I'm sitting there going like, man, Elvis ain't nearly as cool as Chuck Berry or Little Richard <laughs> or whatever. He's just the guy that the that the uh, record executives just sold to white people or whatever. <laughs> Because I mean, yeah, I mean, because that's literally what it was. But you forget that Elvis is also the, one of the more natural talents of the fucking 20th century. And it's actually kind of interesting because and the right place and the right time with everything, too. I do find it. You're absolutely right. But this can still be kind of related to the stuff that's happening today because Elvis was not a songwriter. No, he had. Uh, but there was a time period. I watched the documentary, too. I kind of went down a whole Elvis rabbit hole when I went home just because I had a great time in Graceland. Every music fan or every rock and roll fan should go at least once. And we can get into that in a bit. But yeah. uh, he uh, was really invested in the music too. Yeah, it was mostly covers and outside songwriters when he got to RCA. But he actually uh, took pride in like actually making the songs as good as they possibly could. But he started doing too many movies and had, uh, had to write all the songs or had to perform songs that people wrote for the movies and he hated doing all that. And that was the Elvis that I was bored with growing up was it i'd say i never really fell down the <clears throat> elvis rabbit hole was there really that much of a shift oh yeah absolutely my mom was a big elvis fan so i would i would just hear her give her elvis knowledge and all that too because <laughs> to me it always just seemed like there was skinny elvis and fat elvis and dead elvis Our, that, that to me seemed like the eras for me well i grew up well, nobody famous fat dead <laughs> but i was also a big johnny cash fan and, and i would read like johnny cash's books and uh stuff like that where he would reference elvis stories a lot and a lot of the elvis lore got more interesting as i got older would you say your favorite piece is definitely uh sun studio era that's why i was kind of like really nerdy about going to the sun studio also yeah because, out of everything of you posted cash, yeah out of everything you posted that was the one bit that i was like oh but i will say actually let's first let's go back to graceland so what, what was your actual initial impression of graceland because i've heard both i've heard that it was really cool and interesting and from other people i've heard it's used to be interesting but it's basically a glorified gift shop at this point it definitely has that uh appeal to it but it's on the I, when you go into like get the ticket office and all that, it's just like there's like tacky '50s decor and stuff like that that you know you find in the back. It looks like a Back to the Future set or something like that. Yeah, but I don't know. That was on the other side of the street from the actual house too. Okay, what was really kind of messed up was like the the hotel that was at least five times the size of the house next to it for when uh, Elvis's uh, death date comes around and when his birthday comes around where people just pack that place up. Yeah, I've, I've heard a few people go, it was better before there was such a lord to Graceland and they started building up around the property when it used to be just the house and just the plane. And now it's just become, uh, Memphis is, has such a bad history of crime within the past 15, 20 years that it's kind of become just another house in the bad part of the neighborhood. Really? It's because they have signs outside the parking lots where the property owners have to put on a label that says, we are not responsible for your shit getting stolen in so many words. Really? Now to me that that's actually a shock for me. Cause it, I guess in my head, I always kind of imagined it being the city or town kind of looked at that going because fuck Elvis's birth home is a fucking destination and that's just a tiny little shack in the middle of nowhere, you know? So 
if it seems like Graceland would be one of those things where the city would look at that area and go, this is important. This is touristy. We yeah. can get money. Let's fucking gentrify the area. Let's make the area fucking let's let's put a shopping mall a mile away from it. Let's, you know, do all this and the other. It's at least that's what fucking Charlotte would do. <laughs> so it's like it oh. seems kind of odd that they kind of let that part of town or that little area go to shit like that. And I don't know the history about all that. I have no idea why they wouldn't wouldn't think to fucking preserve Graceland. I know. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but, the house, but the house was cool. I mean, if you're just a music fan, and I mean, if you're a rock and roll fan, you know at least 20 Elvis songs anyway. Oh, yeah. And there's a few that stick with you, too, especially with me as a guitar player. I gravitated more to his guitar player, Scotty Moore, but that was that's a whole other nerdy rabbit hole, too. There's a lot of his stuff in the in uh, Sun Studio that I just flipped out over, too. Now, in Graceland, is basically everything in there still the originals that they've been able to preserve, or are there fucking replicas everywhere? Because I'm, I'm going to get into that in a minute. But I'm not 100% sure, of course, they don't tell you. Because mm-hmm. I've often wondered about that sort of shit, because it's like, after all those years of being there, you can't tell me that and it was, every little thing is still exactly the it same. It was very, very, very well upkept, too. That doesn't surprise me. The upkeep doesn't surprise me at all. Until, like, but, but I'm just what I'm thinking, like, maybe some stuff is added on just to, I mean, it's decorating. You're going to, if it's, that's been around since, what, the 50s and 60s, too. Yeah. And and that was my thinking on it. Just, I, I, I do wonder how much of that is still legit. Oh, I'm sure they have interior decorators that maintain it every year and stuff like that, yeah. too. But preserve the pian- the important stuff, like the pianos and the instruments. and uh, How much of that was actually just sitting out? Um... They had the uh, the living room was the only thing that had like toys and stuff like that out for right. people to play with, but <laughs> they had that green shag carpet, dude. <laughs> you want that bad now, don't you? Oh, I know. I'm sure that was all. Awesome. <laughs> There's no way you keep that carpet around that long with that look that tacky. But it was Elvis. There's just some things that that are just Elvis as fuck too that stick with you as well. Now you said the toys in the living room, so I'm assuming like instruments and shit. Now is that just period correct instruments or his instruments? Uh, it was acoustic. It was period correct. Okay. For sure. They had stuff like that set up at Sun Studio also with uh, through the windows. But it was pretty cool to see replicas of stuff like that. Like they had a, a bust. This was kind of over overkill, I thought. But they had the busted amp or the replica of that that uh, recorded Rocket 88. Yeah, like I said, I was going to go into the Sun Studios thing in a minute first. I just wanted to unpack Graceland a little bit more. Yeah. About how much of Graceland was still available. Because I know you still can't go upstairs. No, you can't go upstairs. Um. About 45 minutes worth of a uh, walking tour. Really? 45? Yeah. That's a lot more than I thought it would have been. Well, they, they kind of give you plenty of stuff to look at, too. Okay, so it's not like... Coming, a... back, to the, coming back to the maintaining and decorating the mm-hmm. place and all that. Okay, because it's... It almost just felt like to me it was going to be a welcome to Graceland. Here's the living room. Yeah, walk around a minute. Okay, cool. Now here's the dining room. And they do a they do a thing now where they have a uh, an iPad with a headphones and they have like a little recorded guided tour. Okay. And fucking John Stamos is your uh, tour <laughs> guide on the iPad. <laughs> what was that like? No joke. He makes he talks about Full House in the middle of the fucking tour. He what? Got, Why? <laughs> talking about uh, some something with Elvis's clothes or something Elvis did that stuck with him over the years, and he, he had to take a moment. And he goes, "Quick side note: When I was Uncle Jesse on Full House, I used this ref Elvis thing that made me preserve this such and such." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I guess if it ties in. I just, didn't know, I just didn't want to be like, and by the way, on episode three of season seven, I wore a red shirt. That's it. <laughs> it was just as useless as that. <laughs> God. Did you wind up picking up anything? Not illegally, but, yeah. oh, <laughs> but yeah. like. I get some money off of this. <laughs> but because like, I'm assuming they had some sort of gift shop or something. Did you wind up No, I didn't anything? get anything from the gift shop. I just wanted to take pictures with all the cool stuff. And that was that was a cool thing too. You could take pictures of everything. And of course, I just photo dumped because I'm not gonna want to buy anything. So, how much did it feel like eyes were watching you the whole time? You know what? Uh, not really that much, just because um, it was just constantly busy. It was just always just constant tours. It's like forty five every like forty five minutes there'd be shuttle buses and stuff like mm. that. It was a very well run. Was it in groups setup. or just kind of like come in come out? Uh, groups. How, how big of a group? Uh, like maybe groups of 20 every, yeah, groups of 20 every, uh, and every like half of 45, uh, somebody be getting dropped off or picked up and it kind of rotated like that. So yeah. it, was, it was pretty constant. So I'm guessing Con- constant so, amounts of 20. Was it a situation if you had to like go online and book a time or just show up and wait? Uh, yeah, you had to book a time. Oh, okay, yeah. So I was assuming, because I was about to say, if that was the case, how long were you fucking waiting? <laughs> no, we booked that in advance. Sun Studio, though, was pretty cool, though, because you can go walk in and buy, like, or, like, it's only walk in and buy. There's only, like, 15 bucks. Really? And I told my mom, I was like, hell, I'll go to that by myself. <laughs> and I damn did. <laughs> the only bit of uh, original equipment they had at Sun Studio was uh, the, the mic that was there with the... I don't know about the stand, but it was the actual mic. And it's like, right. Oh. And it's the actual one that Johnny Cash and Elvis and Jerry Lee sang through and everything too. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's go on the Sun studio set. Same thing. How long of a wait was on for that? Uh, I think that's for 15 bucks. Yeah. Not bad at all. I think it was, uh, 30, about 30, 35, 30 to 45. Okay. 35, no. 35, 45. So, no, no, no. Cause we, were, cause we were late too. And they're like, Hey, go join them right now. They just got started. There may be five minutes into it. And we said, okay, got it. No, cause I, I'm just trying to paint the full mental picture for myself. Cause like I said, I, I, I've always wanted to go to Sun studios. I don't know if I do now seeing the photos you posted. Though. Oh, I spoiled it for you. <laughs> it didn't spoil it for me. I just didn't expect it to be Ripley's believe it or not. It did kind of have that feel to it. You know what? Jeff Williams uh, sent me a message about that. It was like a gla- looking glass tour or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me how uh, the Stax Museum in Memphis is more well-preserved with like more actual gear and stuff like that. And, see, I would love to see and that. And I hate that I missed out on that. And that was another one of those deals where it's like I wasn't, uh, I didn't appreciate Stax all that much when I was a kid either until mm-hmm. I got, and, but as I got older and all that. Realized that what it all is, and you're like, oh. exactly. <laughs> oh, this is why it's stuck with me all these years. <laughs> That's why that logo has haunted me for years. <laughs> oh, and the Elvis uh, taking care of business logo is just like, oh, hey, this has been around since day one. The lightning bolts, <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh-huh. No, the thing I, when you first started posting photos from the Sun Studios thing. I was super interested, especially when it was the control room. That control room just was like, oh, my God, that was so cool. And they still With use the, it. They still uh, rent it out for anybody that wants to use it. It's like 200. Okay, then maybe I was looking at the wrong section then. Uh, the thing that had all the records sprung out and everything. Oh, oh the DJ, the, the little uh, radio the, yeah, station yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little radio station room. I saw that. I was like, that is so cool. Moment lost in time. I know, where you had to... 
an actual outlet to put spin the record, records that you made downstairs and put it on the air, on the airwaves. But not only that, but like just the way the room was and everything. But I was seeing it just with as a group of photos you had uploaded. And then when you started posting it on your Instagram story, you were putting a little bit of a caption on each one. And all of a sudden you went, replica of this guitar. Yeah. Replica of this. I know. Replica it. of that. I didn't want to lie to anybody. And then I went, so that room was fucking staged. That wasn't a storm out and the room just didn't get touched again. Yeah. They they put those record pieces there. They, they, they all of that is on purpose. And all of a sudden it, it lost that little bit of sheen to it. That's why I said I wasn't expecting it to be Ripley's Believe It or Not cuz that's the same shit oh, they totally do there. Get it. I totally get it. It was still cool. I was I still want to go cuz I want to just be in the room, you know. And oh. and the thing and the part that I was nerding out on. This is the this is the little shit. When you posted a photo with the microphone, the thing that got me the most like oh, and I would want a photo with was the wall behind it. Yeah. That white wall with the little perforations in it. It's the same fucking wall. Yes, it is. That is the shit that gets me. That would be the thing I would want to get close to the wall and take a selfie with it or try to get a band photo with just the wall as the background. That because hard. that wall is just as iconic as the microphone in my eyes. And of course, I had to do like the little uh, room clap. Of course, and I was doing the same shit, dude. <laughs> and I was, and of course, I had a couple of questions for the uh, tour guide afterwards and everything too. Fuck, you know what you should have fucking done? What I do? What I did? I fuck up? You fucked up. Fuck. And you said clapping. It made me think about it. Should have fucking pulled out your phone and recorded yourself clapping in the room. Could have put those claps on the record and say part of it was recorded at fucking Sun Studios. You dick. You asshole. You know, the we had it. It was this close. But we even, could have almost said shit was recorded at Sun Studios. It, it came straight from Cap's iPhone. <laughs> recorded at Sun Studios. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, even, you missed that, that opportunity. You could have totally recorded some claps in that room for us. Hey, when we go back, it's only 15 bucks. <laughs> now, actually, dead serious, do they have it set up still where you can cut like an acoustic demo or something? They have a full drum kit. They have guitars, basses, amps, little combos. See, I wonder how much that would be. They said it was like 200 bucks an hour. Mm. And you have to wait till the nighttime because they're do, they do uh, tours during the day. Right, 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 right. Hmm. Man, at some point we just gotta go in there with the song we know and re-record one. If we if we can't re-record a song that we've played forever in an hour, something's wrong with us. And we totally could too. I told I talked to the guy afterwards. I said, "How many uh, bands come over here on a regular basis?" And I was like, "It's pretty regular. It's just mostly locals." Oh, dude. Dude, if we can't go in there and re-record a song that we've played for a few years in an hour, so I don't, say so I don't care if Joe Schmo is recorded over here two days ago. It's still, I don't I, give I, a I love fuck. to have that on my I've, fucking I've like gotta personal. Ha- we've got to have that man. Two hundred bucks an hour. We can go in an hour. We can cut us something, something real quick. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like re-record something, something that we already know, something we don't have to hash out, something we just, we've already hashed out. It would just be that song dash. Live at Sun Studios. Cut now, a live track of it. That'd be so dope. <laughs> if 
we can't cut a live track in an hour, something's wrong with I'm, us. I'm going to crash my parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> Goals for next year. A new single at Sun Studios. We're speaking it in existence on the podcast Done. now. <laughs> We've got to make that happen. Hi, uh, hi past me. <laughs> or fu- or uh, future me. <laughs> you can't even get time travel right. What I the know. Fuck? <laughs> Fucking it up already. No, so Sun Studios, so that, that seemed really cool. And then, um, but you said there was a section of like just legit stuff, though. Yeah, they had Scotty Moore's uh, guitar just out. And uh, I guess they have the novelty of one of one of his guitars. Yeah. Just to be like, hey, you get to play uh, Scotty Moore's guitar or one of his guitars on uh, Sun Studios record, which... Sure. <laughs> Whatever. Why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they had quality instruments over there, though. Yeah. And uh, stuff that was actually preserved. Uh, yeah, really. Not all that much except the actual room. I'm sure the walls are maintained. But uh, there's a drum kit there. It's still the room. There's still a vibe yeah, to it. And to me, and that, and that's the reason I still want to go, even though I was bitching about you know so many replicas earlier. It's like, it's still the room. And I'm sure the engineer and the control, you didn't have access to the control room at all. Of course. So there's probably like cool shit back there that nobody oh, else yeah. gets to see. Oh, yeah. I bet you there's little etchings and scratches of something or, you know, a little, a little corner of something that now has a little pl- piece of plexiglass over it because, you know, it's a spill or a little marking from someone. Jerry Lee Lewis did cocaine on this little piece of glass exactly or or even a situation of there was a little bit left on the control board so you can actually like s- spray that and yeah. make it like solidified that way it can't move anymore it's like hard and part of the control panel you don't know what they could have done you know i'm just picturing steve steve's control board all that <laughs> stuff gets stuck and we know what it is that's getting it stuck oh god <laughs> i'm so glad you put that pass behind him <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. So no, so so those two, Sun Studios and Graceland, what else you wind up doing? Uh didn't really I wanted to do stuff in Nashville, but we wound up going to see the new Godzilla movie instead. Oh really? Just my, I stayed with my uh, one of my best friends from high school and we were both Godzilla kids and yeah. we went to go see the that movie together and it was pretty fun. Cool. Now, I, I still haven't seen it yet. I still want to see it and when we do, we gotta have Jeff back. We're gonna have a Godzilla talk. Fuck yeah. I mean there's <laughs> nothing really to spoil. Really? Mark did you? Uh, I was listening to something Mark Bernard said about it. Is I hadn't that, listened to that yet. Okay. Well, you, when you hear about it, it's fun. It's just one of those deals where it's like, don't. Ex- it's fun. Yeah. Don't bitch about it. How much human story is there? The human story is just because there's nothing to spoil. The human story is absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a Godzilla movie. Well, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've just heard a few people talking about it where there's like, you know, the part of the charm of the Godzilla movies was the guy in the suit and the fact it did look bad and it was like B grade and everything else. And but that the the human story worked because the other part was so goofy that now it's like, oh, I just wanted all monster fights. Yeah, like that now you just fights. want pure monster fights and you don't want any of the human story and you're just like, shut, shut up. And they just still are trying to push the human story in this like what you were even saying. It, it seems that. That part is the weak point. Oh, it's but it's it's so goofy. But it's one of those deals where it's like it's hard to build a near uh, human narrative around Godzilla, especially American, because with Japan it was all around the narrative of radioactivity and uh, Japan and its history with it. Yeah, I mean, I think the only real human story they can give to it is just some sort of typical mad scientist engineer thing that. 
Fuck something up and made Godzilla and a King Kong and everything else. I forget what the first movie was, uh, what the backstory on that one was, because the human story in them was so fucking boring. Which first one? Like first Godzilla is in Japanese the first, the or just like the, the first American? Of this, uh, re- the first of this reboot series. Oh, the one oh, that had Brian Cranston and all that. Got it. Got it. I, I, rem- I saw that one once. I did. I liked it though. I, w- I wasn't upset about that. Movie. I like the Godzilla parts were pretty cool, but half halfway through the movie, like when the part comes up where the guy says, "Let them fight," the door closes <laughs> as they're fighting. Then it cuts to another human scene. It's like I don't give a fuck about these people. <laughs> I want to see big monster fights. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm slowly remembering that story. It was something like. <sighs> It was the same kind of thing. There was a radioactive fallout. That's what it was. And and it was a quarantine part of town that he was trying to get back into to find something because, I don't know, it was something along those but, lines. But you've seen the trailers for it. Their whole thing yeah, is yeah, like, yeah, they're the not monsters, one. they're titans, and they're guardians for that lived right. underground for millions of years. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure, are they going to fight? <laughs> <laughs> Will I get to see a lot of it? <laughs> I love just your simplistic, like, well, are they going to do this? <laughs> oh, yeah, because I was really into, I was, I was a big dinosaur kid, too. So, like, anything <laughs> with the giant monsters and just cool, like, dragon-looking things always <laughs> tickled the eight-year-old boy in me and stuff like that. Yeah. So, outside of that, did you wind up, Godzilla movie, Graceland, Sun Studios. You wind up doing anything else fun? Just or just wind up chilling with the family? I was just chilling with the folks and just uh, and uh, listening to listening to the podcast last week. It was a ton, <laughs> it was a ton of fun. Yeah, and I was thinking about you know how that was like just big history music wise with Memphis and uh, and like I mentioned earlier about talking with Steve and hearing your mom talk about uh, North Carolina being a huge punk rock and hardcore town i mean that's what yeah. i kind of fell into since i moved here it's like oh there is a hardcore and punk scene over here because there wasn't anything like that going on in west tennessee not in knoxville tennessee and i lived there for about eight years i mean there yeah. were like guy there were guys in country bands that listened to a lot of punk rock that's odd though it seems like they're i don't know we played where do we play we played knoxville didn't we we played knoxville and they had punk rock bands that hung around where it's like any rock and roll in the south every town's got two or three good rock and roll bands right yeah, I don't know. It just it felt like at that venue we played at and the other bands that um we were playing with, it seemed like there was a little bit of community, especially because hell they stuck there around. Is. They, they stuck around long enough to watch us. No, there <laughs> is. Not, Knoxville's a college town. It's pretty. It's pretty diverse. Yeah, there's a lot of college kids coming up with different, coming in with different ideas. But that could also have been happening within the past few years, and you've been here the past few years too. So that's true. But they didn't. It wasn't really a strong hardcore scene like there wasn't a Tremont venue size venue that housed that kind of stuff yeah this this place was definitely like in like a little neighborhood strip little hole in the wall kind of thing which there's nothing wrong with that at all exactly but that's how it is in markets where there are college students and uh, you know no history of the genre whatsoever so it was real interesting to move to Charlotte and being fully exposed to stuff like that with uh Annie, your Annie scenes and Wednesday Thirteens. That was the first show uh, I I saw in Charlotte, and you man, you opened for him. That was really. <laughs> that's a whole thing. You saying that though? This kind of got my brain thinking. College towns are really weird when it comes to music venues. You, they have their uh, two or one or two uh, Tremont size venues that how that house like the five hundred, but they, I guess, but some are, some are better than than others because there is a rich his music history with knoxville as far as like country rock and stuff like yeah. that and uh that's huge 
and where that was huge over there and still is. Yeah. Especially with like the Sturgill Simpsons and this kind of like uh, resurgence of like country rock that's come out in Nashville and East Tennessee in the last 10, 15 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was a huge market for it. And now there's really good, nice venues that are, I think, have more are going to have a rich history like Tennessee theater and stuff like that. BG theater and shit like that. It's very fan. It's, it's a little bit more upscale. Yeah. I was talking more or less about like the smaller venues that like we would have played like <clears throat> Asheville. Not, well, they're, they're kind of like a college town a little bit. It's very, uh, it's very, um, artsy fartsy. Yeah. Um, fuck. What was, uh, where was the place we played at with, that was um, pilot lights in Knoxville. Yeah. We played pilot light, but, um, where, where did we play with Richie and the dwarves? Uh, Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill. Another college town. College town. That's a cool venue, but the parking was weird and the way they had to have it set up was weird. So that's just kind of what I'm saying. It's like, it seems like every college town we've been to, the venue that we wind up getting to play at is very oddly placed. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Because even though... Uh, that place with uh, Richie and the Dwarves, that was an awesome little spot. It was still oddly placed for a music venue, though, for the college town. And I guess uh, univer- whoever owns the properties uh, don't want to want to give back as much as they can and take chances on who's going to come out and not be a college student and stuff like that. It's yeah. A t- it's a tough demographic. So it's like you wind up getting the really big venues, but then you get like the really big acts, which is good for them. But then, but if you're like a band like us or like a legacy <laughs> punk rock band, uh, yeah. coming through areas like that in college towns, uh, it's like, it can be a gamble for sure. Yeah. Gambling is just a little bit of a headache. Cause you know, to find those spots, you just kind of have to go a little bit more out of your ways. I don't know. Maybe that's just me bitching. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a thought I should have kept to myself. Oh shit. Right. <laughs> but Charlotte or Charlotte in particular, uh, seems to have had a rich history with, uh, just heavy music in ge- or just aggressive music in general, whether it's punk rock or hardcore or hell, even death metal. Yeah, it definitely seems like Charlotte is a lot more steeped in heavy, like what you're saying, heavy music. Even even now, I mean, the the punk scene, there's still a punk scene, but I would say that there's a much bigger metal scene. Absolutely. Hardcore scene. That seems to be North Carolina in general somehow. Definitely. Like Statesville, Mooresville, there's a ton of metal bands out there mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, it definitely seems like three to one metal to punk bands. Was that always the case when you, when you were growing up here or when you moved up here or whenever? I mean, my opinion on that is still just kind of skewed because I was born here. And then when I was about maybe, hell, barely two, um, mom and I moved to Gaffney, South Carolina. Lived there most of my childhood, kind of bounced around between there and Lenore, North Carolina. Then when when I was about maybe 13, we moved back up to Charlotte, 12, 13, somewhere in that area. And then at that point... I was still young enough to where I still couldn't really go out to shows much. So I wasn't really paying attention to outside bands. The only bands I was aware of at that point, local bands, were the Dead Kings, uh, Mad Brother Ward, and Annie Scene. That's not too shabby, though. And 25 Minutes to Go. So that, those were really... Pretty solid, too. Right, but what I'm saying is like that, that was my knowledge of local music at the time. So we didn't have that where I grew up. We had like our friends that tried to start bands and it was cute. Yeah. Kind of that kind of deal. But no, but there wasn't a scene or like there wasn't like local bands that people knew about outside of what was going on in church or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, I also didn't know about new bands. 
bands, you know, that True. only knew about the bands that mom was friends with. Because who'd I list off? The Dead Kings, which is Jeff Williams, oh. Biggie Stardust, Mad Brother Ward, which is Russ Ward, 25 Minutes to Go, which is John Hughes. And we met him because he did Revolution Church, you know, and that was a thing that we would go to, you know. So it's like all the local bands I knew about were friends or friends of mom's, you know. So it's like, I really didn't know much about the local scene. And I was kind of one of those kids where if I didn't already like it, I probably wasn't going to like it because you showed it to me. So I wouldn't, didn't pay attention to opening bands. It just, it was one of those where it's like, I don't know who these guys are. I kind of don't want to be here. I, I had social anxiety. I was just like, eh. I didn't come here for you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm a fucking, you know, 15 year old, 16 year old kid at the show. I'm just here to see the one band I came here for. Sorry. But were those shows were like, was it a, were these uh, big bands or were these bands that were, uh, or shows that you would go see where people were opening for it? What were the uh, groups you would go see? Oh, I'm talking primarily stuff like Annie Scene or like um also oh, just you would just go to be going to those shows anyway. Just yeah, to, or just, or the Dead Kings or um later on we that around that time period is when we became friends with Dirtbag Love Affair uh, gotcha. a few few years later after that. So it's like you know just bands like that, and then just whoever was opening for them or vice versa, or if they were opening for another band, and it, it was just one of those things where. You didn't think it didn't register. It, it exactly. My brain wasn't there. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about because at that time when we'd moved to Charlotte, like what mom was saying, you know, there's that kind of thing of just not knowing where I was. And she was just like, oh, my God, well, here's records. Here's the coat. Oh, my God. It all makes sense. It was a whole lot all at one time kind of thing. So it was right. like all of a sudden I figured out what it was. And all of a sudden I started going to shows and started receiving all these different bands. And it was a situation of there was already so much to process and think about and learn that the opening bands were so inconsequential because I was here for the band that was currently educating me, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was here for mom's friends. Yeah, basically <laughs> makes sense. And then when we lived, when we moved to Roanoke, um, there really wasn't much of a music scene there at all. Um, I had a few friends there and there were bands, but it was all that, and not even screamy, but just like that hot topic music. There were a couple of those where I grew up too. Yeah, it wasn't tried. necessarily screamo, but it's like it was that little bit of Linkin Park mixed with a little more aggression kind of thing. Another very weird time in music. Yes. So that there was those kind of bands, but there there really just wasn't any sort of music scene. So I really didn't start paying that close attention until I moved back from living in Virginia when I was 18. Gotcha. So my, my personal music knowledge for Charlotte really is from 18 to now. You know what was blossoming uh, real close to home and became like the shit that took every, took West Tennessee by storm for about a couple years? That was like New Elvis, 3-6 Mafia. That, and so 3-6, that was a weird era for music too, but that everybody was doing 3-6 Mafia rhymes at high school. All the, say all the white kids were just quoting it verbatim. I was like, and and the white kids were already listening to Eminem too. <laughs> and seeing that, and that's always what baffled me is because around that time period, I was living in Gaffney, tiny, tiny little fuck town. And I love hip hop too. Why do those little redneck boys immediately get drawn to that shit? The Kyles. <laughs> yes. Good God. Why did every Kyle, when Eminem and all that shit was coming out, being all of a sudden turn into a fucking gangster? I know. It's like, and I like Eminem's, some, oh, some of Eminem's music, but his fans suck. 
uh, it, it was nobody aged past 12 that was part of the reason i did not get along with anyone in school is because i didn't have the mental capacity to really have this full thought but it was the situation of this dumbass redneck thinks from, he yeah from Gaffney, South Carolina thinks he's some high ballin' rich rapper. Shut up! Oh, that was the era of like Eminem. Kid, and these fuckers and kid, are in and these, Kid Rock. These fuckers are in fourth grade too. That's and the, how and, I was where I grew up. Too. And they're wearing the fucking white tank tops and the baggy jeans, and he's got his hair all bleached out and shit. Oh. I was like, dude, stop! Oh, I'm older than you. Like when that was going. When uh, I was your age and all that was happening, it was Kid Rock. Everybody was trying to be fucking Kid oh, Rock. Oh, Kid Rock was already part of everything. Exactly. By, by the time point. Eminem yes. came around. <laughs> Kid Rock was already being blasted. No, but 3-6 Mafia came out of Memphis, and there was just a huge hip-hop of uh, 3-6 Mafia clone scene coming out of Memphis that everybody was into for some reason I, I, that, I, that really does baffle me it's like what what crawls up these little redneck white boys that think they can be rappers oh, but we, had, oh, we had school with everybody it was just a lot of uh, hip hop was just ever present because it was like a very it's like it was all one school there's only one high school in the whole town and everybody went see hip hop speaks to you it never spoke to me it's just one of those deals where it didn't speak to me for a long time but I I appreciate cadence and uh, if there's like fucked up it's the horror movie element of like fucked up lyrics and stuff like that too like when i would get introduced to biggie smalls where he's talking about like uh give me the lyrics to give me the root give me the loot yeah it's intense it's like a horror movie yeah i mean i can maybe see that i mean hell what were you listening to earlier i'll show you some murder junkie stuff there you go and, the, and those lyrics are all fucked up so i i totally get it on that front but just it's same thing okay fuck it Let's keep it on brand. I'll throw it to Star Wars. All right. It's the same thing of I like I don't think episode one, two and three was a bad story. It was just poorly executed. The graphics looked bad. The acting was bad. It was maybe a good story. You know, the overall plot of Anakin becoming bad it's, and the store and the and the ideas they went with. But to me, the execution of the way it looked, the way it was acted and the way they chose to portray the look of environments is what caused it to be so bad. I can say the same thing about rap. Maybe the lyrics are good. Maybe they're coming from a good place. It's just that music it's a very specific art form that is a lot more involved than people get it, give it credit for. And the reason I talk about that is, uh, when I, as a result, it took me years to get my head around hip hop too, but it was one of those deals where I started revisiting, you know, all the classic albums from like the early nineties where, uh, like Wu-Tang Clan was very involved. Uh, the Biggie Smalls record was very involved. Beastie Boys and Public Enemy. If you See, Beastie the- Boys is really the only one out of that whole group that I'll actually listen to. Yeah. And when you peel back the art form of, of all of it, down to the production and the and these things can be concept records and stuff like that too i love the concepts of some of these like nas we're going to get all the best uh, producers on each track and nas is going to be the mc that carries all of it because he's got such a great delivery and a great and it's like mc is master of ceremonies there's a difference between those as far as hip-hop lingo goes right and peeling back that whole science is just fascinating no, and I get that, but at the same token, it's like you should still be able to enjoy something on a surface level, right? And it doesn't speak to you at all, which is totally fine. Yeah, I mean, it, because like even that's how I feel about death metal half the time. 
same here. It's like, I, I mean, I really don't, sure, your story of how much pain you're in or whatever may be compelling and may be interesting, but it's like, all I hear is, and it's just like, take a lozenge, dude. But it's, that's kind of like hip hop where it's just uh, having a specific cadence and delivery about fucked up lyrics kind of uh, comp- with a compelling narrative. I mean, there's an art form to that too. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, just, just still using that Star Wars comparison it just the delivery of those songs is just something that just, yeah, it never clicked with me. It's like, I, I have nothing necessarily, it's necessarily anything wrong. Well, I don't like death metal either. You keep, <laughs> you keep saying that as if you're trying to get me to relate. It's like, I don't like that either. Asshole. <laughs> it's like, I get you. I understand you. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But it's like with hip hop, that's how you feel about it too. It's just like, yeah. makes sense to me now. I don't know. It's odd. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just always ever present growing up too so that's probably why it stuck with me all these years and I developed interest over it yeah I don't know mom, mom was always interested in hair metal that didn't ever stick too hard with me that's another weird she liked Motley Crue that didn't stick with me that, that's another weird one where I uh, the lore is still fascinating to read about too because I was I grew up on VH1 Classic. You yeah. sat through all the hair metal videos to watch your Judas Priest and Iron Maiden videos. <laughs> it's about like how... What, well, are they not hair metal? No. How are they not hair metal? Judas Priest and Iron Maiden? Yes. Dude, that's like... They're, that's up there with Motorhead. It's like, like the no. English. No. All right, when I think hair... No. When I think hair metal, I think <laughs> of Judas Priest and Iron Maiden definitely def had glossy records that some of these hair metal rec, uh, bands' producers used... Judas Priest definitely did. They definitely leaned in a little bit. It's kind of like when Ozzy came out with the blonde hair. Yeah. I think there's like this with hair metal, it's the uh, glossy production and just the format of it. Mm-hmm. That's like, what I hear. Hair like, metal. like catchy riffage. Power and, ballads. Not even really power ballads, but like maybe even the production of, you know, the drums or whatever. You don't and, like that reverby drum beat. Well, well, I'm just trying to like paint the picture. Is that kind of what you're saying? It kind of falls into the eighties hair metal thing. Yeah. Hell bit for leather motherfucker. That's a hair metal song. Oh shit. That came out in 1978. I don't give a shit. That's proto hair metal. That was, that one hair metal. <laughs> No, that that one that that wasn't hair metal. That was Rob Halford. I'm getting blown in a bathroom by a dude metal. That's what that is. And if that's not hair metal, I don't know what it is. <laughs> not, getting blown by a dude in the bathroom. Come on, you just said what 80s hair metal is. What's more metal than that though? <laughs> Especially if you're Rob Halford. I love you to please. No hair metal. I suck his dick. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> now with the hair metal stuff, it was just like just too goofy. I mean, Judas Priest really didn't really sing about girls all that much. <laughs> they sung about dudes. He said exactly, and you knew it. <laughs> with context, it's you like, really oh. didn't though. He, that was that was pretty well hidden for a good while, that, dude. Exactly, that was a whole thing in the eighties. Nobody knew. Yeah. <laughs> and then you listen back to it with all the context. It's like, uh, oh, grinder. <laughs> now with the app and everything, it's hilarious. <laughs> Because it says "looking for meats." I wonder if uh, wonder if the app was inspiration, like the app name. I hope so, because <laughs> the song fucking rules. It's like uh, the Turbo Negro song "Fist City." That song fucking rules. 
<laughs> we, we always go through like the little thing of you know oh we might want to cover this we might want to cover this we were just listening to that song i was like yeah i don't think i'm gonna be singing this song <laughs> come on little buddy <laughs> nope <laughs> come on little girly maybe <laughs> that's, about it. that's kind of why i like judas priest more over the years just like the just more, the cheekiness of it <laughs> you don't know the half of it if you're talking about cheeky <laughs> God damn it! But the hair, but the hair metal was always ever present through all the VH1 classic marathons. It was, and you you picked out every cliche arrangement spot, like the oh we're gonna do the chorus a million times and fade out, and then there's the oh here's the uh, the one bar of a guitar solo before the bridge repeats itself again, and with the same production, stupid shit. I don't know. It's like I was in, in, in ordained with that through BH1 Classic with all the hair metal bands. You had to wait around for, um, and then they would play Metallica and Anthrax and uh, Slayer videos and yeah. all that. And, and I gravitated towards that instantly because, like, ooh, more fucked up lyrics with Slayer and all that. <laughs> See, but I can get behind all that. To me, there there's a little bit more to that. That's just where did you put Judas Priest and Iron Maiden in that box? I, just, I, was, that was I was doing that because I wanted to get you going. Oh, that was he was fucking with me. <laughs> You really don't care for any of that kind of stuff, though, do you? I really don't, though. No, I, I, I'm i fully aware that's not hair metal. It's just like seeing that. Oh, you got like, me going. She was I like, know. what? <laughs> I have to poke you sometimes. No, but I, I don't know. Just that, just that era of music just never really grabbed me much. There's, I can make a playlist. I can maybe make a CD out of all the songs of that stuff I like. But like, I don't know. The typical hair metal I don't like, like Poison and Rat yeah. and shit like that. So, yeah, I don't like yeah, any you know of exactly that. what I'm talking about. I know what hair metal is. But but there's like a few Cinderella songs I like. Yeah, exactly. The, to me, they almost sounded like the missing link between ACDC and Airborne. And you're absolute. And that's another thing I was going to bring up. A lot of the hair metal stuff, there's little things from that period that I actually like. You know, I'm a guitar player. Of course, George, I'm going to think George Lynch is a badass. Anyway, <laughs> I don't may not like Dawkins, but I like George Lynch. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about half of these bands, but their guitar players rule. <laughs> I don't know. It's it just one of those eras that just never really grabbed me much. And that's why probably why you hate Van Halen so much. Like, if it weren't for Van Halen, we wouldn't have these bands. No, if we weren't for Gene Simmons, we wouldn't have Van Halen. <laughs> Talk about shit that keeps me up at night. That's probably why, <laughs> that's probably why I don't like Nirvana really at all. It's like if we didn't have Nirvana, we wouldn't have that that very weird era of '90s music with the same vocals. All the I hate the copycat Nirvana bands probably more than anything else. <laughs> Singing with the marbles in their mouth. And yeah, shit. that's probably my least favorite form of rock music. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It feels like for me, there was like that weird, like, arching wave. So it's like the 50s was good. It's working its way up at the 60s. Had a pretty decent spike in the 70s. And then 80s had a little bit of spikes. It had a little bit of ups and downs. Yeah, there's different things I take from the 80s than I did with the 70s and so on and so forth, too. And I'm talking about this is just in popular music, not underground shit that goes on. Right. 
like even popular 70s music I dug. There was some really good popular 70s rock and roll stuff. You can ignore the Simon and Garfunkel shit all you want. I'm just talking about radio, like the music. Gotcha, music. gotcha, gotcha. Nugent and ACDC. And, when I was you actually know, getting like uh, yeah, packing arenas and fresh. Sweet and Alice Cooper and Kiss and shit like that. And then 80s had some pretty decent ups and downs. And then it just felt like for me, the, starting at the, about the late 80s and the 90s, it was just that slow tick down. And we've only kind of gotten up a little bit higher since then. It just feels like the '90s just kind of killed music. It was a weird. It's weird how uh, hip hop from the '90s has kind of become the new classic rock for this generation. Like more people are by consuming hip hop nowadays than rock music from that. Decade. Well, how perspectives change. So the original view on rap music in the rock and, you know, maybe in country community for a little bit was, you know, this is just weird. You know, it's just it's just rhyming. There's no song. This is just lyrics. You know, it's just it's just lyrics. There's no song here, you know. Right. Exactly. And then as time goes on and on and on, it gets worse and worse and worse to when you go back and look at it, you go, oh, I guess there's a little bit more to it, especially when you compare it to what's happening now. It is kind of that thing. And I think that's kind of where it comes from, where it's like there's so much just undulterated garbage that gets put through, you know, even the rap community. Because it's like, even though I don't like rap, I can still look at something and go, I understand how someone can like it. Like, I can understand how someone can like 90s rap. I understand it. It just didn't speak to me. Right. I listen to some rap today and I go, this sounds like a joke. This sounds like the background of some weird video. This sounds like this does. You wait a minute. You really, this is serious. You you release this as a serious track. You know, it's like you weren't just fucking around. This isn't like a meme. You know, that that's kind of where I view some of the rap music today. So it's like I and understand how people like the genre, but there is just some shit you hear now. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? So it is the new classic rock. They're going back and listening to something that had a little bit more genuineness to it. And there is a get off my lawn mentality among like the old school guys in the hip hop community regarding all this the SoundCloud rapper generation. And, and that's the interesting thing is because it's like, you know, how there's a lot of similarities between, say, you know, comic fans and Star Wars fans. As different as rap is from rock and roll, the fan community is still very similar. They're very loyal. They're very steadfast on what they like and what they don't like. And they're very loyal to, you know, their originals and they want the originals to stick around forever. And the new guys do not get appreciated by the older generation. So it's like, I get that and I fully support their passion. And, and that is your comparison to classic rock. You know, that, the, that late eighties, early nineties rap is classic rock. Now it holds up a lot better. No, but I think the, uh, there are definitely kids uh, getting into Pearl Jam and Soundgarden where, the, where it's like their actual rock that they're listening to. That's like their uh, Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath like to me when I was growing up. Yeah. And there's also that going on too, but not nearly as much as hip hop, especially with as on a you know more mainstream level. Yeah. No, and, and, the one th- and the one benefit I can have at least, or the one bit of peace of mind I can have in all that is uh, like Tyler. He's, he's called in on the show before. Yeah. I love, I love giving him shit. He's just, he's a lot of fun. I love you, Tyler. But it's like, he is definitely of that generation where Soundgarden is his Led Zeppelin. Yep. You know, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not for me, but you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. And the reason I say that is because the dude plays guitar, you know? He, pretty they, well too yeah 
there, there, so whatever caused him to pick up the guitar, whatever, you know, he plays guitar. It, yeah. it did its job. So I, it is an interesting thing how something like that can be transferred like that. But I feel, but I feel the confidence in that at least when he goes and listens to bands like Soundgarden or Pearl Jam or whatnot, listen to the interviews and listen to who they say are the inspirations. And that's why never want to give Greta Van Fleet too much hell, even though it is earned, but they're making kids pick up guitars. Yeah, and through that, hopefully they'll figure out who Led Zeppelin is and go, oh, this is better. <laughs> That's something else that's starting to be weird now. Like, literally everybody from every band is starting a podcast. You mentioned uh, We did it first, goddammit! I know. Robert Plant had one that he put out, uh, or he's, he's starting one, just talking about some random album he did in the 80s. I'm telling you, man. We started this shit first. All of a sudden, fucking David, uh, Lee David Lee Roth has one. Goddamn, Doctor Phil has one. Dr. He's not in a band, but still, it's just like Goddamn, Doctor Phil has a podcast. And then I found one with uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. What? And he's doing all he's doing is talking about his guitars. Before you know it, fucking Paul Stanley's gonna have a podcast. Oh God! Hello. You know what? Hello, my star child, my star children. <laughs> what does he say on the Alive One fold? Dear lovers. Yeah. Hello, my lovers. <laughs> God. Today we're going to be talking about this amazing eggs over easy I made for lunch. And <laughs> I got some Starbucks in the afternoon. No, I was just going to talk about art the entire time. What then, his favorite then paintings are. Then I got are. my paintings out. And then I got my, my, got my acrylics out and this started painting brought, my feelings. This is brought to you by Puma. <laughs> 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 this is the star cast no. brought to you by Puma. <laughs> no, that's what David Lee Roth. God damn it, if I hear a star cast online after this. <laughs> star cast. Oh, God. Dude, David Lee Roth. Uh, David, David Lee, Lee Roth. <laughs> His nickname was Diamond David Lee Roth. Diamond David Lee Roth. <laughs> He's always Diamond Dave to me. I drink the Kool Aid. Anyway. That's what he does on his show. He, uh, his uh, tattoo uh, cream company that he started, that's his quote-unquote sponsor. We did the same shit. With this show's energy. brought to you by Hate Energy. We're not any better than this shit. It's so great, though. He, he does his own like little tags on him. He goes, Ink, the original. Ink. Actually, we prefer you say it like that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he is out of his fucking mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then there was that video going around of uh, him ch- trying to crash a bachelor party in Vegas. What? You haven't seen it? Oh, we'll uh, put it up online and everything too. But what happens that he is that he goes, uh, he hears Van Halen playing uh, down the hallway of his hotel room in Vegas because he's yeah. supposed to be making an appearance at an EDM festival. I did not make that up. <laughs> Why is he at an EDM festival? He is making the rounds with these DJ parties with this one DJ out of whatever Scandinavian country doing a remix of jump. That's literally all it is. Why? Because David, how many versions of jump does this fucker going to do? You saw that weird acoustic one, right? It was like this weird Rasta acoustic version of jump. Why is he doing so many versions of the song? He's an inner. I think the, Deal is that he's an entertainer first and what the hell ever second. Oh my god. <laughs> that guy got some bad drugs at some point. <laughs> he decided to be an EMT for a bit. And then he... Because uh, you showed me a little bit of that podcast, man. That dude is not on planet Earth anymore. Nah. 
And that's why something happened to him, dude. <laughs> and he still does tours with uh, the Van Halen brothers every now and again, but uh, but he's doing that and uh, with the uh, Vegas hotel thing, he's just putting out these videos himself too. Um, he knocks on the door and he goes, "We heard there was some Van Halen playing here, and I'm David Lee Roth." And a guy goes like, "I'm oh, sorry, random old man. We'll turn the music down, like not registering or recognizing that it is actually David Lee Roth." <gasps> oh my god, I haven't seen that. I gotta look that up. <laughs> And of course, like he's, David Lee Ross is there with his big shit-eating grin, God, just kind of like just grin. taking his like I like I just made their night. I mean, it was with like well intentions and yeah, stuff. Yeah, of course, of course, he wasn't being a dick. No, and then when it shows him getting to the elevator, some guy from the party uh, follows him down there, and he goes, so, it's "Like, sir, we promise to keep the volume down." <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> At what point do you just go? fuck <laughs> oh he's just sitting there going like <laughs> i totally made that say like, i'm gonna go do this edm thing he's just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks oh my god wow and still just keeping on like the diamond david lee roth character the entire time <laughs> i wonder how much of that is actually a character now i don't know it's very fascinating <laughs> Speaking of characters and Paul Stanley, uh, something you showed me, but I did see it also. So he did that uh, that Puma shoe line a little while back. And I'm not ashamed to say I want one of those fucking pairs of shoes, man. <laughs> I like those zebra shoes. They are fucking sexy as hell. They're awesome. And I was kicking myself because I wasn't able to get them in time. Everyone's going, they're so expensive. Dude, there are $10 more than Vans. <laughs> a typical pair of Vans is going to run you 80 bucks now. These Pumas were 90 <laughs> And if anybody knows anything about big, cool shoes, shoes it's kiss and paul stanley yeah so it's like i i want i wanted a pair so it's like i was kicking myself i wasn't able to get one in time but then he makes this post on instagram which actually another guy keith larue um friend i follow him on instagram and i got him on my facebook he is really close to kiss he does like a lot of their video stuff and um he posted like this runner's jacket he was wearing he said it was gonna be part of the new paul stanley puma line and i was like huh yeah okay Paul's going to be doing one with Puma. Maybe they'll do a reissue of the shoes and maybe I can get some. Oh. And <laughs> lovely star child himself. <laughs> posts I saw it this, too. Post this full body shot, heel up and everything. And he goes, showing off some of my new Puma collection, including this cool waste bag. Not caught. Sir, that's not a waste bag. <laughs> waste bag he didn't call it the fanny fanny pack pack. (laughs) the fucker has his own fanny pack i'm sitting here going like are fanny packs back yes the fucking hipsters and fucking meme lords have brought the fanny packs back i'm sitting there going like did i miss something you missed something they brought the fanny packs back they're back in fucking fashion and i don't get it uh and you would think kiss of all people who were who are around when the fanny packs were starting to become a thing and how lame that was. I was going to say, finish your thought. <laughs> and just how lame that was. I don't know. It's like... And, Paul and the, Stanley fanny pack. You just need to get one for the novelty of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> God, no. But but the thing was... Is, so again, I wanted the shoes and I looked at his shoes and look, I am not one to turn my nose up at some tacky 70s gear i like the sparkles i like the rhinestones i like i like the 70s glam okay so that doesn't bug me at all that's why i want the zebra print shoes oh yeah okay i like that shit 
but these shoes he was wearing, they were completely like holographic, like Ace Frehley kind of silver mylar. Yeah. They look like those translucent kid shoes. Okay, so I, <laughs> so I didn't pay attention to the look shoes. Look at shoes real quick. Pull the shoes back yeah. up, man. They look like fucking four-year-old girl shoes. Let me see this. Paul Stanley live. There you go. We're getting we're dr- driving traffic to Instagram, and you got a podcast. Fucking call us, Paul Stanley. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. What? Again, and you can zoom on Instagram. You can pinch zoom. I'm still figuring out Instagram, yo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they look like fucking kids' shoes. And he's selling, and he's gonna be selling those. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Again, I have no problem with a little bit of sparkle or a little bit of shine on something to give it a little pop. Hell, the shoes I'm wearing now, there's a variation where the white lightning bolt is that kind of finish, but against the black, that would look really cool. It would. It add a little pop. The entire shoe is that holographic rainbow mylar silver thing. It's like not everything. Not your. Your stage gear does not need to go on fucking Vans or Pumas. If, if that was a star with that kind of reflective color to it, that would look cool. But not the entire shoe. I'm just going to go to the airport in my box, in my gym shorts and my uh, tank top and my uh, Paul Stanley flashy reflective mirror shoes. Again, it just kind of bummed me out. I'm just sitting here going, it's like, I would love, I would love if he would actually get together with a boot company and do some like everyday wear boots. Oh, and do like custom made with like kiss designs, but like yes. boot style done the right way. Yes, like actual like, like you don't have to have a heel on it, just actual like boot, like uh, yeah. like motorcycle boot. Exactly. Don't worry about. I don't want a heel. I just want a regular boot, but have it in that simplistic or uh, minimalistic kiss kind of style. Exactly. You could totally do a kiss aesthetic with that kind of stuff. Like a black boot with a little bit of like a like a metal silver trim on it, or like you know some like a metal star accent, just something that oh, would. Yeah. He needs to do something like that instead of putting together little fourteen-year-old girl <laughs> shoes. We are helping Paul Stanley out so much today. <laughs> there you go. This is what you're doing after you uh, retire from tour, Paul. <laughs> Just come see me, buddy. I got you. <laughs> well, he's got his own jewelry too. Does he really? What the fuck? Yeah, you can go to his website. And on his website, he's got like his own like bracelets and earrings and shit, and they're all in like the Star Child motif. Oh, and okay. I mean, that necklace sense, necklaces and shit. The one thing he doesn't make that I'd be semi interested in would be a ring, but he doesn't make any rings. I would totally wear a ring. I'd wear an absolutely obnoxious, gaudy '70s looking ring he'd make. A big old star on it. Come Fuck, on, dude. I would wear the hell out of that. I have no shame. I, I like that goofy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like tacky. Tacky's cool. Kiss tacky is fun. 70s tacky's fun. I like it. That's another thing, too, about these rock bands that are coming up. There's a lot of 70s tacky going on, and I love it. Well, it's like it's it's a little bit of a trend, but it's also something I've always kind of liked. And it's just easier for me to like now because it's trendy and it'll eventually I fall out, true, it'll too. fall out of trend. And when it does, I'm still going to be digging on it. Just like horror punk fell out of trend, but I still love horror punk. It was just easier for me to like horror punk when it was the trendy thing and then it moved away. I still love that shit. I talk about it all the time. But it's like 
I've always loved that 70s vibe and that 70s, you know, obnoxious thing. But it's like, it's popular now. So it's just, it's easier for me to get my fix. Early 2000s kind of have nice, had a little resurgence of uh, like disco rock kind of stuff uh, with Electric Six and uh, the Hives and stuff like that. Yeah, but even then it wasn't quite as mainstream as it is now. Yeah, and it's weird how that was came kind of came and went. And now that's back on kind of a resurgence. And I'm not complaining because, like I'm I said, it's just, it's just easier for me to get my fix on it now. And uh, it's, it's the same way I look at the Marvel movies. It's like they're not going to be here forever. I'm enjoying them while they're here, you it's know, just peaks, peaks and valleys. Yeah. So it's like I'm enjoying that the 70s rock and roll seems to have a little bit of resurgence right now. And it's funny. I remember this distinctly. What's that? When we were recording Hit the Gas. One of the things I said, I said, man, I feel real good about this song. I said, I feel like rock and roll's coming back soon. And that's just one of those things where they started putting uh, labels attached to it, that new wave of classic rock. And I just found that interesting how we all kind of had, I just, we all kind of had that feeling after recording Hit the Gas and it being so rock and roll based more than anything we had done before. And we were just like, I feel like, this is the right time to do this because we because we had always teetered on it. We were talking about that earlier today, how Fifth Times the Charm was kind of that growth album. Yeah, for sure. That we were wanting to be a rock and roll band, but just didn't know how to really write those songs. Kind of got out of that punk rock box for a bit. And Hit the Gas was the first time we were able to fully get out of that punk rock box. And, it, and we just kind of had that moment of like, this is the right time to do it. I feel like rock and roll's coming back. And it's just kind of cool how we were able to set ourselves on that path right at about the time that it feels like people are kind of waking up a little bit more again. And it's definitely been fun to just uh, play with bands that are like kind of uh, feeling the same way too. I mean, like this little crop of bands coming up in the U.S. is all feeling the same way and there's a ton of them now and it's yep. really great to see. And I also feel like <clears throat> there was a breaking point in the rock community, almost. Like it had to be broken or in order to be rebuilt. Yeah, especially after the industry collapsed in like the late 2010s or 2008s or whatever. Yep. I feel there was there was a rock and roll broke basically from like 2009 to 2013. It was that weird thing where like the the washboard rock was like we mentioned earlier with Mumford and Sons was rock and roll all of a sudden. Yep. And even the underground, there wasn't that much underground anymore. There's of course always the handful, but and just like it being accepted even into the underground, it was the thing of like we're tired of that, where we're rebelling against it. And all the rock all the rock records I bought were all legacy bands. Yeah. So it's like it felt like rock and roll was broken and completely dead there for a minute, but then it's like with the way people are becoming more aware of how social media works, with people becoming more aware of how this digital era works, we're all finding each other easier. It was almost one of those things of, wait a minute, we're still here. Hold up a minute. We're still here. Let's find each other. And it felt like there was almost this big push, and I was even in it, of trying to find other rock and roll bands. You know what's weird where I, that I think a uh, shift with that kind of helped or the, the shift that kind of helped with uh, this shift, the bands I mentioned earlier, like the uh, country uh, rock bands like that have that 70s approach that are putting out stuff with Nashville with all these Dave Cobb uh, producers and stuff like that, like your Jason Isbell's, your Sturgill Simpson's and uh, uh, Tyler Childers. They all grew up on 70s rock music, and, but they were also listening to like the band and the Rolling Stones and stuff like that too. And I was in that camp as well as getting into all this stuff as its little resurgence was happening in Knoxville and Nashville. 
Yeah. So it's like, I, I just, I've really been appreciative and just soaking in the fact that rock and roll seems, even if this is as big as it ever gets again. And a lot of these rock bands <laughs> that are coming out now have done shows with uh, these country rock yep. artists, like uh, Biters have done sh- tours with Blackberry Smoke. Yep. And uh, Diarrhea Planet has done shows with Jason Isbell. <laughs> that, that legit happened. <laughs> and that blew your mind. Uh, and those... They draw the same audiences. That's what's weird about it. They all draw on the same 70s nerd audiences. And then you got Sticks touring with Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> the old bands can't get it right. <laughs> and Kiss is touring with a painter. Metallica's com- touring with Jim Brewer. Well, that makes a little more sense, but I get what you're saying. Did you see where Danko Jones was uh, shitting on Metallica for playing the national anthem? Uh in uh for the NBA playoffs. Yeah. It's like I had to square up to the Masters and I got humbled. <laughs> yeah. It's like and Meta- it's, for those that don't know Danko Jones sent out a, a post saying that uh like Metallica was doing an, uh the national anthem for uh, the NBA playoffs it was Golden State. That's the thing about their California band whatever. And uh they and Danko has to say, "Hey, uh, LA, they're Metallica's from LA in so many words." And then, yeah. and then Metallica just says, "LA is in the Golden State, bro." <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing I've liked about Danko is like he's gotten a certain level of success, but it's like he still takes a minute to like talk to people online. You know, he's still interactive. Hell, he even gave us shit one time on oh, yeah. on, on our Instagram. <laughs> that was kind of fun because <laughs> I didn't because he he makes a lot of memes and shit, and I didn't realize that. Um, this specific one, it was um, James Hetfield and the cowboy hat. Oh, yeah. And uh, it had the caption of Hee Haw. It had the Hee Haw logo over it. I thought that was hilarious. And he shares memes a lot, memes I've seen before. It's fun. So I thought it was that. So I reshare it, but of course I give him credit. Side note, because it's like, hey, Danko, also, I'm paying attention to you. Danko thinks we're cool. Well, not no, I wasn't even. Say, I wasn't saying that. I was saying that as a, I'm going to tag Danko in this so he sees people see his shit, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, so I posted it and was like, you know, credit to Danko for finding this or something like that. Oh yeah, like he didn't. Uh, and then he's just like, yeah, he comment, he, get, he hops on there, he goes find it dude i made that <laughs> my bad dude yeah i was like shit my bad i said i'll correct that right now i said you're, you're the king of memes and you know hit hard on it so it's like it's still cool that he actually looks at shit oh yeah you know? so I, I just thought that was fun and we did the same thing that he did with metallica and it's like hey sorry at metallica uh-huh. <laughs> hey at metallica fans this is pretty funny right exactly check so out my shit it's so uh, i don't know it's 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 just kind of cool when you know someone that you listen to their music a lot they still take the time to pay attention to anything some dumbass is tagging them in you know so it's like it wasn't any sort of you know hey Danco look at us thing it was just thanking him for making me laugh and giving him credit meme sharing credit he's pretty active online he's kind of doing uh, similar stuff with his podcast and uh and that's and that's uh, and I enjoy that about him. It's like he he by doing that, he's always opening himself up to the fans. Because Danko Jones has always been kind of a DIY setup anyway from day one, he's right? Been, he was a rock fan that fell into rock and roll. It's like one of my favorite uh, stories is one of his uh, spoken words where he talks about Ozzy coming to his record shop. I didn't realize to do, he did that, tours like that either. Oh, you haven't heard that story? No, I didn't realize he did spoken word stuff. Was this like, or was this part of like book tours? I think it was part of one of his book tours, but he released a CD of spoken word stuff. Oh, I had no idea. And he told the story about Ozzy coming to the record shop he worked at to do a signing. 
and how and everything that went down on that oh my god i've got to show it to you i can't i can't repeat it and give it any sort of justice but no he was a rock fan he's he's a nerd just like us that just got good you oh, know exactly. and, and that's and i'm always going to relate to him on that i love that guy no, he's he's pretty grounded. It seems like yeah, and I think like Duff McKagan does the forward. I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> D- Duff seems to always be doing stuff. Hell, he's always doing the shit with uh, Jericho on his podcast that uh, that dad joke of the week thing or whatever. I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> now Danko was like one of those weird ones uh, that came on my radar by chance, and uh, when he was kind of fresh anyway. Of all people that turned me on to them, and I say of all people because if you know him at all, you'll know that it's just like what that guy told you to listen to him yeah um russ of all people turned me on to danco jones i know i'm shocked he even knows about it that's my point he i forget what i did or whatever but it was when i was still living in roanoke he sent me a message and he goes hey i'm not a big fan of this guy but i really like this song i think you'd like it too and he sent me lover call (laughs) that's a solid one yeah and i was like oh this is pretty cool so i just listened to that song over and over and over i never really dug back into it was russ just kind of like uh it's like you might like this yeah kind of (laughs) kind of like like this is shit you're into (laughs) he's he's a lot more happy and accepting now he he was a lot more down and out and just about everything (laughs) back then so yeah it was definitely a this isn't for me but this seems like something you'd like (sighs) real record store guy (laughs) absolutely So I just listened to Lover Call over and over and over. That's all I really listened to. And then um, I think I wound up downloading that album and a couple others and just kind of listening to it. And then right as I was about to move to Charlotte, something clicked with me. And all of a sudden I became a huge Danco fan. And I'll never forget after I moved in with Tony one day, uh, we were just chilling around the house. He had some playlist on mix and a Danco song came up and I went, Oh, you like Danco Jones? And he turned around, looked at me, and just yelled. He goes, "You know who this is?" That's what I said when y'all started talking about it in like initial fill-ins group yeah, yeah, chats. Yeah. I'm like, "Y'all know who Danco Jones is?" Because nobody, I yeah, because our drummer at the time was a big Danco fan too. Yeah, and in East Tennessee, like I said, it was just all country rock. Nobody was listening to Danco Jones. Yeah, or like after as soon as I discovered him, I discovered helicopters and so on and so forth. And I was on my own on that one. No, I, after um, I, I had a little bit of guidance on that one because uh, between Tony, Devin, and then eventually um, just hanging out at the rim and just hearing their playlist all the time, yeah, this is, definitely had a hand and kind of pointing me in the right direction. And then when you started showing me more, I was like, ah, this works. This is and, awesome. And actually, uh, it was funny. Uh, when I worked at the college radio station, I hosted the the classic rock show, and we would get CDs from like you know every label gives every college radio station their cds or whatever and uh the program or the manager was like danko jones classic rock it was uh black what was it black and blue or uh rock and roll is black it was that cd yeah yeah, yeah. and if you know that cd it's eh. <laughs> <laughs> and he put that in my and he put that in my bin as one of those kind of deals was like oh it's the you do the classic rock radio show you might like this yeah <laughs> At least my feelings were on it, and I, I, I can understand. That was a oh, weird yeah. period, too. No, and every band has their peaks and valleys. I mean, I, I still want to give this, his newest record another listen. So I hadn't. There's so much going on. I just haven't had time to actually enjoy other new music because we've just been making our own. <laughs> yes, we have, and we can't wait for y'all to hear. We got to play it live and stuff. Yes, we got to talk about that already, and... Oh, God, I can't wait to get that shit out. Hell yeah. Let's have it kind of done with. 
Well, you got anything else for us, Captain? This feels like a pretty good episode. I mean, I'm just kind of rambling and hanging out. I wanted to come back and uh, just with uh, get like I said, getting back in the well and just kind of like figuring out uh, going. Well, I hate that I missed the sessions last week too, but no, I just wanted to come back and get on the mic and uh, start fresh. I really like what y'all did last week. No, that was a lot of fun. And I definitely want to get mom back in here. She's got a lot of good stories. She really does. And uh, off mic, we were also talking about some other ideas for Clayton, too. So I like that little debate y'all did at the end of like the Paul Stanley versus Ace Freely. I know. Really? Uh, yeah. I know Jer- I know Jericho does that every now and then, but it's still kind of oh, yeah, that's, to be that's real absolute... specific with it with us, too. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely where I lifted it from. But it's like it, it was everyone plays a version of that game. I've, I've stopped caring at this point oh, if yeah. I'm ripping something it's off. Fun. It's, it's about the content. It's not about the idea. And what's more fun than that than having a bunch of like bunch of nerds just uh, doing Especially that kind of stuff Especially because both anyway. of those records meant a lot to all three of us. You exactly. Know? So they, the two of them grew up with it and those are some of my quintessential favorite rock and roll records. But, so. Je- but Jeff, Jeff, uh, Dio era Sabbath, come on, dude. No. <laughs> hey, he likes Peter. <laughs> also that <laughs> I am genuinely curious because like Jeff because Cl- I like where his tastes have led me over the years too right just, just where his head's at on just preferring Dio over the Aussie era well talk about the, the Peter Chris really oh oh well well that kept getting miscued Russ was telling him that due to shit like hollow notes and stuff like that, that he does like some of that easy listening 70s uh, stuff that he should revisit the Peter Chris solo album that he actually liked the Gene album. Gene was his favorite. Yeah, that was weird, too. <laughs> now, I'm sure at some point we'll dig back into that one because you, you called the hotline and I didn't even get to play the voicemail. Oh, no, y'all were getting into it. I was just like, <laughs> I hope they don't play my message. It's going to fuck this up. <laughs> But on that note, I figured it's about time to kind of simply because we've had a really good episode so far and I don't feel like we need to kind of strain it or push it to keep filling up content. I had fun. Up. This was really nice. And actually looking at the time, we did a little better than I thought we would have anyway. So, hey, good on us. Hell yeah. So it's about time to dig on into that Spotify playlist and figure out what the hell we've been listening to. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. Where did you record this? I bought it at the mall. What that person on your tape has is a medical disorder. Hadn't done this in a few weeks. Still doesn't matter because I haven't been listening to a lot. That's why you got to take a week off, man. Go enjoy yourself. Yeah, man. What you listen to on your vacation? Uh, actually, it wasn't until like a couple of days ago. Uh, Brower came through town, uh, and always kind of like I dig the Buzzsaws record. I kind of like revisited that, but after I saw the show, I got really fired up by them and have been revisiting the album ever since. Because when they do it live, the or the record itself is very glam rock produced, like seventies rock glam rock. Right. It's really catchy melodies and like harmonies and stuff, like vocal harmonies. I enjoyed and stuff them like in Down South. Oh yeah, that's right. We did play with and. That's right, and but the record when they play it live, it's a whole different take on it with uh, just the bare bone guitars and stuff like that too. Right. So that's what I've been listening to, and it was a great show. And uh, did a uh, summer stunner with with the time this comes out, uh, probably it already hap or has already happened. Yeah, it's happening right now. Summer stunner's already as happening. we record this. As we record this, as while well, recording this and not down there having fun. Mm, <laughs> I know we got big boy jobs, kinda. <laughs> and I'm totally gonna 
mispronounce this guy's name. I can't remember if I've ever brought him up before, but I, I genuinely like this record. Uh, this guy's name, uh, the record is called Robert Persons, Persons oh, Humbucker. Yeah. I can't figure out what it's pronounced like either. And like I said, I don't know if I brought it up on the show or not. I but, don't think so. But either way, fantastic record. Um, it came out in 2013, self-titled. And stuff like Haunt My Mind, Serious, Keep Me In Your Heart, really good, just 70s riffage, if that makes any sense. Good harmonies. He's a great vocalist. I don't know. I just There's there's a lot about this record that I really like, and I can't really put my finger on it. When you first played me this record, uh, the first thought I had, I forget what the name of the song is, but the first band that came to my head when I was hearing like the, the guitar tones were and the arrangements were was Boston. Really, I could see that. I can see that. <laughs> That's a pretty good comparison. They're they're definitely they're not aggressive. It's it's just seventies pop rock, exactly. and, I, and I enjoy it a lot. Hooky it was, melodies, hooky guitar tones and licks and stuff like that. It's real fun. Absolutely. So yeah, I know uh, I know we've got some Brower in the playlist. I know we've got some Robert Person. So definitely check out the Something Good for You playlist on Spotify and give it a follow, give it a listen. And I tell you what, this is the very first time. I've said this, and I feel that 36 episodes in at this point is kind of reasonable for me to say. If you're listening to us on Spotify, if you're listening to us on iTunes or anywhere else, give us a little favor and give us a rating. That does actually help. Yeah. Didn't want to talk about that for the longest time. Wanted to get in a bit more of the flow of this, make sure we're going to continue to do this. And we're going to continue to do this. And we want to continue to make this bigger and stronger as possible. So... On that note, please give us a little subscribe, follow us on the Facebook and the Twitter, and follow us on the show pages. So if you follow, if you listen to us on iTunes, hit that little subscribe button. It honestly does help. It's not part of our egos. It's not just flattering for us. It honestly helps numbers, and if we can continue to make this grow, we can continue to do bigger things with our friends. Absolutely. And we can continue to lift our friends up in the process. Um you never know what the future can hold, so let's just start from the ground up, and if you want to give us a little review, give us a little rating, that actually really does help a whole lot. So, if guys, if you just want to do that, that would mean a lot. Cap, do you have an outro for us? Uh, if you feel so inclined, follow me on Instagram at Jimmy the Weed, and I, want, I have an idea for Wilmington promoters that may want to book the fill-ins. I just want to go up there and try one of those pimento cheese biscuits that is getting started at a very specific ah, yes. Wilmington Bojangles. I know. I, we've got to go get that. Yeah. All so right. Wilmington promoters, get us hooked up. That's Find all us. I want. That's all we require in payments. I will send over the writer four pimento cheese biscuits from the Bojangles and we will be happy. Thank you. <laughs>
I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? Why can't we get that here? I found out about it today. I'm like, God damn it. We got to go all the way to Wilmington for that fuck. How far is Wilmington? Not like, what, three hours? There's, That's there's... a little far for a Pimentos Biscuit. <laughs> this has been another amazing production from the Cult of Dave Podcast Network. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.